There are some notes in the bulletin for those of you who like to have a road map of what we're going to talk about. There's a few blanks on the back side of those notes if you like to fill in blanks. We'll do a little bit of that this morning. You know, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we really have one goal, and it's to honor God, to praise God, to glorify God, to make much of God, not to think about ourselves, not to focus on ourselves, but to focus on Him. We don't gather together for entertainment or for performance. We do not gather together because it's ritual or it's ceremony or it's tradition. It's just what we do. We want to be intentional when we gather together about honoring God and making much of His name. And it's not a new idea. It's as old as the Scriptures themselves. It's as old as a group of Baptists in 1689 in London who got together and they sat down and wrote a a confession of faith called the Second London Confession and they put together a catechism. They were creative in the title. It's called the Baptist Catechism. And the catechism is just a series of questions and answers. You ask a question, you give an answer, and you memorize those things just to help you understand your faith in a systematic way. And the second question that they put in their catechism, Baptist Catechism of 1689, this is Baptist in London a long time ago, said, what is the chief end of man? That's kind of a funny way of saying, what in the world are we supposed to do with our lives? What is our purpose? What is our highest goal in life? What is the chief end of man? And they give the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That ought to be your goal in life as an individual. That ought to be your family's goal. And that ought to be our goal as a church. We gather together. We do the things we do as a church family here at Emmanuel because we want to glorify God and we want to enjoy Him. We want to do it forever. Not just in heaven someday, but right now, today, from this point forward, forevermore, we want to make much of God. How do we do that? Well, it's not rocket science. We sing songs. Songs that talk about God, songs that point us to the greatness of God, songs that remind us of the gospel, the hope that we have in Christ. We pray when we gather together. We don't only pray just because it's a nice way to end a Sunday school class or it gives you a little bit of transition in worship, but we pray because we're asking God to do something in us. As we gather together here to do something together, we want God to do something in us. And so we pray and we ask for that to happen. We preach the Bible, we teach the Bible, and we try to do it as clearly as we can. We don't try to entertain you. We don't, it's not the comedy hour. We want to make you laugh. We just want to make the Scriptures plain to you so that you can understand them, so you can understand the truth about God. We fellowship together. We do things together. We spend time with each other, even though we sort of annoy each other at times. Even though we sort of have those people that rub you the wrong way, we get together and we do things together because we are a church family. So we want to do all of those things to glorify God, and we want to do those things this morning. This morning's a little bit different. This morning, if you've never been to Emmanuel before, it's a little bit different than what we'll do all the other Sundays of the year. Almost every other Sunday, in fact, every other Sunday, we're going to meet together in this room, and when it's my turn to stand up here, I'm going to say, open to a particular passage, we're going to study this passage, we're going to talk about it, we're going to try to explain it and make it clear to you, and we're going to try to apply it to your life in a meaningful way. This morning, first day of a new year, we're going to do something a little bit out of the ordinary. We're going to do something called the State of the Church Address, and really it's sort of a rip-off from something you read in the Constitution of the United States, and I'll just put this up on the screen. This is Article 2, Section 3. The Constitution of our country says, The President shall from time to time give to Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. You know, for a long time in the history of our country, presidents did this in the form of a letter like a handwritten letter. They would sit down and write out the things that they wanted to share with the Congress and they would send it over. With the advent of television, it's a big, huge media event, right? And it's something called the State of the Union Address. It happens every January and the scene looks something like this. The Speaker of the House will call a joint session of Congress. Everybody shows up, all the who's who, all the important folks are there. 
And some sort of page or staffer walks in the back of the house. Some of you have probably been there and you've stood in this spot. He walks in and he says, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, so-and-so. And everybody stands up and everybody starts to clap. And the president sort of walks in from the back. And everybody's got their little program. They want the president to sign the program. And they want to shake hands. And they all want to talk to the president. And he walks down and everybody claps. And he finally makes his way through this mob and he gets up to the speaker's podium and everybody claps and they just keep clapping and he just soaks it in and he loves it and he gets this smile on his face and he tries to play humble whoever it is they all do it oh thank you thank you thank you oh thank you and what they mean by that is keep going keep going a little bit longer this is nice this is very good they stand there and then finally they stop and you think okay enough clapping your hands got to be killing you and it's like he'll say five words and then here we go again clap 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 and then they'll stop, and he'll say a few more words, five, six more words, and then they'll clap, clap, clap again. My favorite part of the State of the Union speech, whoever is talking, is at the very end of it, after the president's talked about this is what happened last year, this is what we want to happen in the upcoming year, my favorite part is it ends, and he starts to walk out, and the news anchor will come on, back to reality, right? And he'll say, okay, speech was 42 minutes, in 15 seconds, and there was 43 minutes and 55 seconds of applause as he was interrupted. And so if you've watched it, you know it's mostly applause, and they like to show who's clapping and who's not clapping, who's standing up applauding, standing ovation, and who's got their arms folded, scowling, trying to pout. And it's this big media event. But you understand the point of it, originally written into the Constitution by our founders, is to say, look, The president needs to keep in touch with our leaders, with the people, and needs to share information with them that he thinks is important, that is pertinent, that they need to know. And basically, that's kind of what I want to do this morning. A couple of years ago, we did this on a Sunday morning. Last year, I I went old school, like the old school presidents, and I just wrote it down, and we put it in the church newsletter. But this morning, I thought January 1st falls on a Sunday. This is a great Sunday, even though we know there will be some folks gone this morning. So it'll be a great Sunday just to sit down and to talk about where we are as a church, to think back about where we've been as a church a little bit, and to look into the future and to think, where are we going? Where are we headed? What do we need to do? And how can we all be on the same page? Now, I want to give you a disclaimer, okay? This is like the breaking the number one rule of public speaking, okay? And I'm going to break it. I don't have anything crazy to tell you this morning. Like if you're just on the edge of your seat and you're waiting for like, oh, what, what are we going to, what's coming? I don't have nothing to give you that's going to be that exciting. In fact, you can probably fill in the list on the back all by yourself. And if you can't, you're going to fill it in and you're going to be so disappointed because you're going to say, that's what we did last year. What do you mean we're going to do that next year? That's what we did last year. We do this every year. This is the same old stuff. That's the point. Because sometimes in churches, we forget what our purpose is. We forget what our mission is. And we get distracted by lots of okay things that aren't the main thing that Jesus expects his church to be about doing. So we're just going to take one Sunday, just sort of take a breath and say, okay, we're a church family, Emmanuel Baptist Church. What is it that we do? Who are we and what does Jesus expect of us? That's the point this morning, so there shouldn't be anything shocking in what we talk about. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to find Matthew 28. We're going to read Matthew 28 in a minute. Before we read it, I just want to remind you of some of the change that we've gone through as a church family over the last couple of years. And so I'll put a picture up here. I just want to remind you, this has kind of struck me this week. Over the last, let's just say, three years, almost all of our staff members have been newly hired or have transitioned to a new position of ministry and responsibility. And I put that picture up there, and it's not even complete. It's outdated because we have a new staff member who started this morning, Jennifer Ruley. She's not up there yet. I just want you to realize we've had a lot of staff change, right? We've had new people added. Uh, We've had some people leave. We've had people change roles and responsibilities. And I just want to say this, as a pastor and as the guy who gets to oversee this group and work with them on a daily basis, I just want to say thank you as a church family for your patience with us 
in change because change is stressful. All of the, the personnel changes, staff changes we've had have been positive. They've been great things. We have an awesome staff. But change is change, and it's stressful, and it's sort of an upheaval of things, and it takes time to figure out who's going to do what and who's responsible for this and that. And I just want to say thank you to you for your support and for your patience over the last couple of years, really, and even going forward as we just figure out how do we work together, who's responsible for what, and how can we work most effectively together. So we've had a lot of staff changes. I'll also just remind you, we've had a lot of facility changes. And again, they've been positive things, but changes change, and I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, We put a new roof on the church in the last couple of years, and it took about 10,000 leaks down to like three. It's a great roof. We almost have all of them knocked out. We just got a few pesky little spots, but it's really great. Uh, We put new lights in here so you could see how pretty I am on Sunday mornings, and I can't see you at all because it's so bright up here, but put new lights in here and new sound system and and all the things that we needed in here to worship on Sunday morning with the band, we did that. Uh, We built a new playground down the way. I know some of these things are a little bit older, but I'm just reminding you of all the changes we've had in our facility, and I'm reminding you of these things mostly so I can say thank you to you. Because some of those things that we did, like a roof and uh, AVL in the sanctuary and a playground, they were not cheap things. They're expensive things. They're things that we needed to get done, things that have just sort of been pushed to the back burner over time. They needed to happen, and we were able to do all of those things and dozens of other smaller projects we've done without having any debt, without borrowing any money, because you guys have been faithful to give. And we're obviously painfully aware as many of you are, that the economy has not been fantastic over the last couple of years. We've come out of a big boom and down to a bust and kind of in the murky middle right now. But we just want to say thank you to you for your faithfulness to give. We've been able to do some of the things around our facility to be good stewards of what God's given us here and to upkeep things and, and to have things the way we need them to be. One last note on giving while I'm talking about giving and I'm saying thank you for giving. I want to thank you for how you have given to missions. And you maybe have already looked in your bulletin and you've read the number in there. The bulletins were printed earlier in the week before we had the final count and we knew that number would be a little bit off. Let me just show you what our missions giving has been the last four years. In 2013, we gave about $8,000. In 2014, we gave $25,000. In 2015, we gave forty. dollars And in 2016, this year, uh, the final count, barring you guys maybe sending something in the mail that's postmarked a few days ago, is uh, 56537 This is our world missions offering over the last couple years. And I just want to say thank you for your giving, for your generosity. I stand up here every December and I tell you, this is the most important offering that we collect every single year because all of this money leaves our building and it goes to send missionaries all around the world. And this is, as your pastor, this is one of the things that makes me most excited to be here at Emmanuel and to see what God's doing in our church is our excitement for missions. And let me just add this in. A lot of times I talk to people And they sort of have this idea of, well, you know, some churches, they go on mission, and some churches, they give to missions. And I'm just telling you, I'm excited that we do both here. I mean, this last year, we sent the most people on an international mission trip that we've sent. We sent dozens of people around the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and we gave the largest missions offering that we've given in an awful long time. And so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your serious commitment to go and to be part of missions and to give and to to make the sacrifice financially to support missions. And when we wrap up here in just a minute, we're going to talk more about a, a missions offering in 2017. But I just want to show you that, not to just puff you up and make you think, oh, you're the best, but just to say, I'm excited that God's done something in our church where people are interested in making a sacrifice to go tell someone else about Jesus, and they're willing to make a sacrifice with their pocketbook to send other people to go to places where they need to meet Jesus. And so I'm thankful for your support there. Now, let's talk about 2017, okay? That's sort of where we've been, where we're at. Let's look to the future. What should you expect from our church in 2017? Okay? It is really, really, really simple. This is where Matthew 28 comes in. In 2017, we are going to make disciples. That's the mission. We want to make disciples.
We want to make disciples. Let you fill that in, and then I want you to either look in your Bible or you can look up on the screen. I'm going to put Matthew 28 up. And let's read what Jesus says. Jesus came and he said to them, to his guys and his gals, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I know you know this passage. I know you've heard this passage preached in our church over the last few months. I just want to remind you of a couple of things here, right? This is the mission. You can find it stated slightly differently in a few other places, but this is the mission. Go and make disciples. And the guy giving us this mission, right, the guy who's giving us our marching orders, starts the whole thing off. His preface is, I have all of the authority in heaven and all of the authority on earth. It all belongs to me. And this is what I want you to do. Which means that any time I stand up here and give you a a talk like I'm doing this morning or I write it down and I put it in the church newsletter, it better line up with this. It better not stray to the left or to the right from what Jesus is calling us to do. Because the guy giving us these marching orders is the guy who has all of the authority in heaven and all of the authority on earth. And he says, this is the one thing that I want you to be about until I come back. I want you to make disciples of people from all of the nations. The nations where you live, the nations who live close to you, the nations who live far from you. I want you to make disciples of all of those people. How do you do that? Well, you baptize them. That means you're going to have to share the gospel with them. You're going to have to talk about sin and the holiness of God. You're going to have to talk about what Jesus has done on the cross to take the penalty, to take the wrath of God that should have fallen on a sinner. You're going to explain faith and repentance and what it means to follow Jesus. And you're going to baptize those people who accept him. It also means that after you baptize them, you're not done because Jesus says you baptize them and you teach them. What do you teach them? Everything he told us to do. That's all you have to do. Baptize them and then teach them everything Jesus said. Show them how to do it. Tell them how to do it. Model it for them. Do it with them. Teach them how to follow Jesus. That's the mission. When you do those two things together, you're sharing the gospel. You're seeing people come to faith in Jesus. You're helping them learn and understand what it means to follow Jesus. You're making disciples. And Jesus says that's the mission. You do it until the very end of the age. I'm going to be with you as you do it. But you do it until the end of this age, until I come back. That promise at the end is special, right? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Sometimes we just take that out of context and sentimentalize it like, well, Jesus is with us all the time. He's with us all the time. That's true. But what he's saying in the context is when you go and make disciples, when you go and reproduce and multiply, into new followers who are then going to be able to do the same thing to others. I'm with you when you do that all the way up to the end of the age. And we talk about that here at our church. The name of our church is Emmanuel, God with us. And we talk about a lot. We believe God is with us for his glory. We believe God is with us for the world. We believe God is with us for this city. And we believe God is with us for you. And all of those ideas really find their home in Matthew 28 when Jesus says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And what I'm sending you out to do, what I'm going to be with you for, is the task of making disciples. Can I make one clarification? Because sometimes in church we forget this, right? You go out and you make disciples of people, real people, right? You ought to be able to look out and count disciples and know How many disciples do we have? How many followers of Jesus are here? It's an accountable, verifiable thing. But sometimes in church, we lose our mind a little bit, and we start to think that the goal is not making disciples, but the goal is assembling a large crowd of people. We say, I know Jesus said make disciples, but we just want people. We just want bodies here. More of them, more of them, more of them. And when you make that subtle shift, you'll do anything and everything to get more people there. And then once you got them there, you'll do anything and everything to keep them there. 
And I just want to remind you, that's not the mission. The mission is make disciples. I promise you this, a crowd of people who have assembled for entertainment or out of tradition or out of habit, a crowd of people like that will never storm the gates of hell. Never. They'll just sit on their backside. Jesus says the mission is make disciples. People who love me and people who will follow me no matter what. That's the mission and that's what we're about. So how do we do that here at Emmanuel? What's the strategy? This is where you get the most boring list of all time. You ready? It's just basic, simple, obvious reminders. Number one, we're going to be committed to serious Bible study. That's a commitment here. And we hope it's a commitment that you're a part of. Serious Bible study. Some of these verses I'm going to put on the screen for you. Some of them I'm going to let you you look up and read later. In Acts 18 and 19... Luke is writing about Paul, and Paul goes to Corinth, and then he goes to Ephesus, and he stays several years in those places, 18 months and two years, and he's staying in these places, and Luke makes a point to say, Paul went to this town, and he taught daily the scriptures. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's proclaiming, he's reasoning, he's going over the same old stuff every day with these people in Corinth in these people in Ephesus. Why is he doing that? Well, because, 2 Timothy 3.16, he believes that the scriptures, the Bible, is actually the breathed out word of God. It's not just a nice piece of fiction. It's not just some poetry that you admire or that inspires you. It's not just a history book that gives you some nice lessons from the past. It is the very breathed out word of God. And he understands what we read in Hebrews 4.12. This book is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it will divide you to the very core of who you are. It will lay you bare and open before God. Listen, we're not committed to the Bible because we just think it's the best reading book out there. It's the most inspirational book out there. It has the best stories out there. We're not committed to it just out of tradition or habit, or ritual. We're committed to it because we believe it's a living book. And when we gather together and we teach it, and we preach it, and we talk about it, it will expose you, and it will expose me. It will divide us to our very core and lay us bare before God. It has the power to change us, to change the way we think, and to change the way we live. So when I say we're going to make disciples. We're going to do that by being committed to serious Bible study. I'm not saying we're going to be like a glorified book club. Right? We're going to read it, and then we're going to come around and talk, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, I like this. That's not our approach to Bible study. Our approach is to say this is the authority in our lives. We don't stand over it. It stands over us, and we submit to whatever it says. And if that's encouraging for you, great. Be encouraged. If that's challenging for you, get ready to be challenged. If that flies in the face of what our culture says, then we're going to do it. But we're going to be committed to this book and to teaching it and to believing it. We do that on Sunday mornings, every Sunday, depending on your teacher and how uh, uptight they are. We have Sunday school at about 9 o'clock-ish, right? My class, I'm just, you, you guys know me, I'm so laid back, I'm so easy going. We start at like 9.30. But we start, and we talk about the Bible, and we study it, and we think about it, and we let it stand in authority over us. We have some great Bible study classes, and if you're not a part of one, I would really encourage you to find one. Try one, visit them. We have different options for you, and we want you to find a class to plug in where you can study the Bible. We also do that on Wednesday nights, right? Adults, youth, and children, we meet together on Wednesday nights not just to have activities, but to study God's Word. Our adults are going to study something called systematic theology, right? We just went through the the books of the Bible in order, and uh, then we just talked about how to share our faith and and sharing the gospel. And starting this week, we're going to talk about systematic theology, and we're just going to take one doctrine, one idea, and we're going to say, what does the Bible say about this? 
What does the Bible say about this? We're going to study God's Word together. Our kids are going to be down the hall at Awana. Guess what they're going to be doing? Studying the Bible, memorizing Bible verses, talking about Bible stories. Our youth are going to be upstairs. They're going to play games. They're going to eat pizza. They're going to do youth stuff. But they're going to study God's Word. And we hope that you'll be a part of that. We have other opportunities. Ladies Bible study, preset Bible study. We're going to be committed to studying the Bible. Okay? Number two, we're going to challenge you to find a place of service. That's one of the things we're going to do this year and every year to try to make disciples. We want you to find a place of service. Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians 12, each one of you has received the gift of the Holy Spirit for the common good of your church. I know a lot of times we talk about this idea that the Holy Spirit lives with Christians and we say, you know, it's to strengthen you, it's to guide you, it's to do all these things. That's true. That's great stuff. But one of the things Paul says, and it's absolutely essential you get this, is that God gave you the Holy Spirit, not just for your good, but for the good of the person sitting in the seat next to you. God has given you gifts through his Spirit so that you can strengthen and build up your church family, the people you're looking at in this room. Not to use those gifts, to keep those gifts to yourself is not only stealing from God, but it's stealing from the people sitting next to you who need the encouragement that's going to come when you use the gift that God has given you. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A lot of times we think of God's grace and we say, God's grace, that's what saved me from hell and get to go to heaven. That's because of God's grace. Peter says, although he agrees with that, God's grace is also the thing that gifts you with abilities and talents and things that you can use for the good of your church family. That's God's grace to you. So use those gifts to serve one another. Not to keep it to yourself, but to serve one another. Listen, we need you to serve here. At Emmanuel. If you're a member, we have to have you. We need you. When we have a new member class, we tell our new members, we need you to find a place of service. You don't have to do everything. We don't want you to do everything. But you got to do something. You need to do it for your good and for the good of our church family. So we need greeters and ushers on Sunday morning. We need people to work with children and with youth and to do different things uh, with our, our young people. We need people who are willing to serve and to use God's grace in their life for the good of others. Look, if you want to think of yourself in a, I think, a helpful way, just think of yourself at church like a sponge, okay? Just say, I come to church, I'm going into sponge mode. Like you can be your own superhero, sponge man, sponge woman, a sponge soaks things up, right? It absorbs things, but then you also wring it out. When you come to church, you ought to be like that. You ought to come to soak up, to learn, to hear, to study, to be encouraged. All of those things are good. But if you never get wrung out, you're a useless sponge. At some point, you've got to get squeezed out and wrung out for the good of other people. And we're going to challenge you to serve in the next year. Next. We're going to give you opportunities to give. And I want to explain to you why we're going to talk about giving, why I would include it in this list. I think giving, and to be really clear, we're talking about money here. I think giving is central and key to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Why do I say that? Matthew 6, Jesus himself said, no one can serve God and money. You cannot serve both. You'll love one and hate the other, or vice versa. You can't serve both. 1 Timothy 6, Paul warns a young pastor, Timothy. He says, the love of money is the root of all different kinds of evil. If you love money and you find your comfort in money and your security in money and your happiness in money, that's going to overflow into lots of different problems in your life. It's a root of all different kinds of evil. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul tells the church in Corinth that God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, Bob Dylan wrote a song a long time ago called You're Going to Serve Somebody. You are going to serve someone. 
and is a great danger when you live in this country, in this day and age, where we have more money than we know what to do with, to be honest with you, that you will serve money rather than God. Can I be honest with you? God does not need your money. Not for a second should any one of you, regardless of how much or how little you have, think that God needs your money. You need to be very careful that your money, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, you need to be very careful that your money does not come between you and God. And when you give, when I give, that's one of the things that we're saying. We're giving away money. That is so crazy to our culture and our society. I am giving away money. I'm letting it go. Why? Because I don't trust in it. I don't think a little bit more is going to make me happier. I don't, I don't look to it for security. I'm not serving it. I'm serving Jesus Christ. I would challenge you to think in 2017 about tithing. And I don't want you to get all hung up on a percentage or a number or get your calculator out. What I'm talking about when I say tithing is I want the people at our church, members of our church, to say in their lives with their spouse or by themselves or however it works in your home to say, I'm going to give a set amount of my money no matter what. I'm building it into my budget. Too many people sort of come to the end of the week and they sort of scrounge around and say, well, what do I got? I got this much and I'm gonna, I know I'm going to need some of this, so this is how much I can give. I would ask you to take the opposite approach and to on the front end say, what can I give on this front side? What can I keep? God's going to let me keep some of what he's provided for me, but what can I give? And you build that into your budget on the front side. I know many of you are faithful in that, but some of you, I'd ask you to think about that this year. Maybe your whole life giving has just sort of been, you come to the end and what's left over, you have some for God. I'd ask you to flip that, to think, I want to honor God. I don't want to serve money. I want my money to serve me, basically. I want to be in control of it. I want to serve Jesus. So we're going to give you opportunities to give. Next, we're going to meet together for corporate worship. Or if you don't like that phrase, you can just say big church. We're going to meet together for big church. It's going to be in this room at 1030 every week. You should come back. When Jesus talked to the woman at the well, do you remember he told that woman that God was seeking people who would worship in spirit and in truth? Right? In spirit and in truth. When we come in this room, it's not ritual, it's not habit, it's not routine, it's not just because that's what we do. It's from our spirits, it's from our hearts. It's heartfelt, it's genuine. And it's according to the truth. We don't just come in and sing any old song we want to sing. We don't just come in and talk about any old thing we want to talk about. We're going to come in and we're going to sing songs that are true and we're going to talk about things that are true from God's Word. Here's a plan for this year, for those of you who like to look ahead. This is what we're going to talk about. Starting next week, we're going to do a series through the book of Philippians called Rejoice. And if you want to know why we call it Rejoice in a book, a, a book that Paul wrote to the, the church in Philippi, come back next week and I'll tell you all about it. Rejoice. In the summer, we're going to talk about parables, some of the things that Jesus said. Why did he teach him parables? What was he trying to teach him parables? In the fall, we're going to do a series called Little G Gods. You're going to love it. You might hate it. I'll be honest with you. But it's true, and we're going to talk about true things that might be gods in our lives. And then later in the fall, going into 2018, we're going to talk about the book of Exodus. We're going to going to study the entire book, but we're going to follow the storyline through the book of Exodus. So that's where we're headed this year. And I'm telling you that up front just to say, again, this Sunday is a little bit different, right? This Sunday is kind of refocus, recalibrate, everybody get on the same page, but then we're taking off and we're going to meet together for big church and we're going to study God's word when we meet in this room and we're going to sing songs that are true. Here's a cool thing. Our praise team is working on some new songs and some original songs, some songs that they put together that fit with, uh, with some of these series and it's fantastic. So you're going to love it. We're going to meet together for big church. That's one of the ways in corporate worship that we make disciples. One last idea. We're going to sacrifice for global missions. We're going to do that. Luke 24, Jesus said, you need to go out and preach repentance and forgiveness to all the peoples. 
Tell them to repent. Tell them that forgiveness is available. Look at Acts 1.8. I know a lot of you know this verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We're going to do that. And can I just be real honest with you? While that verse is up on the screen, you look at that and you say, Witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth. That's here, out there, and everywhere. Listen, especially on the Jerusalem part, okay? There's not a program that I can implement that's going to be super effective at this. You want to know what the program is for us being witnesses in Jerusalem or in Odessa? Every week... We're going to meet for big church. I told you that in this room, 1030. And about an hour later, give or take, we're going to say, you're dismissed. Go home. Go to work. Go to school. Go back to your neighborhood. Go to the mall. Go out and eat. Go out. And as you go, be a witness. That's the program. And I know some people want something more like, you know, we need, to, we need something, a date and a time where we can come to this building and do it. doesn't work that way. doesn't happen in this building. It happens when you leave this building. We're going to be witnesses in Odessa and to the ends of the earth. We're going to sacrifice for global missions. That begins here and it extends all the way to the end of the earth. Because if you read Revelation 7-9, we read that in the end there's going to be a multitude before the throne from every tribe and every nation and every language and every people. They're all going to be there. And we want to be the ones that God uses to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. So we're going to sacrifice. So this summer, just to tell you what's going on so you all know, we're going to send teams to Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, and we're going to send a team to Toronto, Canada. Teams that are going out, they're going to go to tell people about Jesus Christ. People need to hear about Jesus in those places we're going to go. There's an election in Kenya this summer, which is why we're not traveling to Kenya this summer. It's just a little bit volatile where we go. So we're not going to go, but we're sending a small team of people in just a few weeks, and they're going to go plan 2018. And I'm telling you this, in 2018, we are going to go back to Kenya. We're going to send multiple teams to Kenya, and we would love for you to go to Kenya with us. So a lot of you have signed up. We have almost 30 going to Alaska and Toronto this summer. Some of you think, man, I've been dying to go to Kenya, and they're not going this year. Well, we're going next year, so you got a year to save your pennies, because we're going, and we would love for you to go with us. Guess what? We're also going to take a missions offering next year. And I'm just telling you up front, we're going to do it. A lot of you give to our missions offering a little bit each month. You just sort of pull a little bit aside and you give consistently throughout the year. A lot of you, like me, like to wait till the end of the year and then do it at the end of the year. I don't care how you do it, when you do it, but I want you to be intentional today about giving to this world missions offering. Let me explain to you what I'd like to see. I gave you the numbers for how we've increased our missions offering. I'm going to give you a challenge, and I almost hate to call it a challenge because it's, so, it's such a puny challenge, but I'm going to call it a challenge anyways, okay? When we collect our world missions offering, here's the math on this deal. 5% of it stays in the state of Texas, so we send it to folks who will send missionaries in our own state, start new churches, share the gospel with folks in the state of Texas. 5% of it goes toward missions in North America. That's specifically the United States and Canada. Send missionaries, send church planners to cities, uh, big cities, where they don't have uh, a very strong Christian presence. We want there to be a Christian presence. So 5% goes to North America. And the bulk of it goes to overseas missions, to other countries around the world. Places on the earth where literally they have zero access to the gospel. Okay, so we collect a world missions offering. You following me here? 5% of it's going to Texas, 5 to North America, and 90% of it, most of it, is going to go to send people to the ends of the earth. The International Mission Board, who we support as a Southern Baptist church, the International Mission Board says that next year it's going to cost about $58,000 to support a missionary family on the field for one year to pay for their food and their housing and their, all the things their kids need and transportation and health insurance and all that stuff. 58000 is the average. So here's what I'm going to challenge you with. 
Next year, if we gave 65000 to our world missions offering, that's not a huge increase. We've increased more than that the last couple of years. If we gave 65000 to our world missions offering, 90% of that would be enough to support a missionary family for one year. Look, at a church the size of ours, a church that's been blessed financially like ours, that's doable, way doable. Now, it's going to take some intentionality, right? You're going to have to think about it and plan. We're not going to be able to just come to the end of the year and scrounge in our pockets and everybody pull out five bucks and we call it 65,000. There's not enough of us to do that. We're going to have to make a sacrifice. What I mean is you're going to have to give and I'm going to have to give to say, I could spend this money on this, but I'm not going to spend it on this so that I can give it to the world missions offering. But I don't feel bad in asking you to make a sacrifice because that's what Jesus asks us to do. Make a sacrifice. right? You give up certain things to get something better. Something greater, which is like the greatest sacrifice ever, right? Give up something small to get the kingdom of God. Give up something temporal to be a part of something eternal. And so this is my challenge to you when we think about our world missions offering for next year. We can do that. That's easy. Couple more thoughts and I'll wrap it up. Uh, over the last couple of months, years, we've grown. I know today's a little bit thinner than normal, New Year's Eve and people traveling and tired from staying up last night, things like that. But we've grown, uh, not explosively over the last couple of years, but pretty substantially. And I just want you to be aware that when you grow, there's certain issues that crop up. And these are good issues to have. These are good problems to have to think about and have to talk about. I do want you to know that as we grow and we have a new member class next week, we hope we grow some more next week. We have some more folks come and join next week. I pray for that. Uh, As we grow, our leadership is very serious about and very intentional about the idea that we don't want growth to change who we are as a church. Some things have to change when you get bigger. When you put more bodies in the room and more people in the mix, some things have to change. But we don't want more people being here to change who we are. We don't want it to distract us from the mission that we're focused on, and the mission is making disciples. We have no desire to be the largest church in town, and we have no desire to be the smallest church in town. We just want to be faithful with the people that God has sent to us, And we want to be faithful with the people that God may send to us. And I hope you're praying, I'm certainly praying, that he would continue to send us more folks. Folks who need to meet Jesus, who don't know him today, January 1st, 2017, they don't know him. I want those people to come. I want them to be here. People who move to Odessa for work, new to town, I want them to come. Let's go. We want you here. We want you to grow as a disciple of Jesus here. People who have been de-churched, you know, they grew up in church, but they haven't been in a long time, and maybe they had some kind of bad experience. We want them to come, and we want to be the kind of place that we can show them and sort of redefine what church ought to be like and what their experience here ought to be. So I hope that God continues to send us people. If he does, I just want you to know we have a couple of things that are beginning to pop up on our radar. For one, we want to make disciples. We want to teach the Bible. We need places here to do that. We see the value in having people here and bringing their family here and staying for worship. So we do this, we do this on campus. We're running short on adult Sunday school space. We're not out, but we're running short. We're out of office space. We don't have any more room. We can put people here or there in a closet somewhere, but it's not a really sustainable thing. And we have some other places in the building where as we look at our numbers and our attendance and folks, we're beginning to feel a pinch in different places. And we have an existing facility that we need to take care of, an existing facility that's old and that some parts of it need new carpet. If you've been in the fellowship hall, you know what I'm talking about. We have some nasty windows that are broken and they don't work right and we need to get those things replaced. So we have some things here that we need to do and we have some issues that may be coming up, some challenges to face. But I'm saying this to you for a reason to say these are all exciting challenges to deal with. Where are we going to put more people? 
Do we need to have two services at some point? And when do we need to do that? And how will we all work together to make sure we have enough greeters and nursery workers and all of these things? I don't have all the answers for all of those questions. But I know the mission is going to stay the same no matter how many people show up to this address on a Sunday morning. The mission is to make disciples. It's not to entertain you. It's not just to come together and have a feel-good session. It's not just to come because of ritual or habit or ceremony. This is what we always do, but it's to be intentional about making disciples. I wrote a blog post this last week, and uh, if you know me very well, you know that I don't do sentimental so much or encouragement so much. I should. I should be better at that, but it's not my strongest suit. Um, But I wrote a blog post this week, and I just sort of thought, at the end of the year, what are the top reasons I'm thankful for this church? And I want you to know as your pastor, I am very, very thankful for this church. And I don't mean this building. I don't mean this room. I don't mean the stuff that we've built construction-wise here. I'm talking about you. I am thankful for you. And I love being here at this church. I love Odessa. I love being your pastor. And I just wrote down a few things, and I'm going to read a few of them to you because I don't think I could remember them all off the top of my head. But I want you to know why I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this church. I love this church because we really have a great group of elders who lead here and deacons who serve here. I'm talking about some really great guys. We have elders meetings on Tuesdays. They're great meetings. They're not bad, boring, difficult, challenging meetings. They're great meetings. We ask our deacons to do different things. We don't twist arms. They do it. And I'm grateful for that. I love this church because we have a great staff. And I know that some of you see this from time to time, but I just want to tell you from seeing the the behind-the-scenes side of our staff, they love you and they love this church and they love working together here at this church. And I hope you know that. I hope that's reflected in how you see us talk to each other and interact with each other. But it is a real joy to work here together with the people that God's placed here. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this church. I love this church because we are serious about studying the Bible. And we are serious about worship. I know sometimes I I maybe browbeat you with this idea that we're not here to perform or be entertained. I don't want you to think it's because... I think you're here for those things. It's because I don't want us to slide into those things. And I'm grateful for the fact that when you come, you expect, let's talk about the Bible. In Sunday school, you expect your Sunday school teacher, talk about the Bible. Sunday morning sermons, let's talk about the Bible. Let's worship together. It's not about praising the people who stand up here, whether it's Garrett or Tyler or anybody else. It's about worshiping Jesus, and I'm grateful for that. I love this church. I'm grateful. I don't exactly know what this means, but our our fastest growing Bible study classes are young adults and senior adult women. So you make of what you want to make out of that. But I like it. I think it's a great thing. On a more serious note, I'm grateful that we have senior adults at this church, and I'm not putting any of you in that category. I'm just giving it to you as a broad category. We have senior adults who gladly endure loud music. I know it's not your favorite. I know you don't get in the car after church and crank it up to 21 and jam out on the way to roses. But I'm grateful for the people who come to this church and who say, you know what? That's not my personal preference, but it's not going to be an issue that I'm going to complain about or gripe about or feel sour about. And I just want you to know, I know that we have people that do that, and I'm grateful for you, for the people who do that. I'm grateful for those of you who give, and I know that that's a lot of you. Angie is a great financial secretary, and she keeps a a pretty tight lip about giving and who gives what. But I know that you give, and I know that you've been faithful to give over the last couple years, even as the economy's been bad. And as a guy who works here and gets a paycheck here, And as a a guy who's trying to lead some things here and do some things in the facility and reaching new people, and we've been able to do those things because we have money available, I'm grateful to you for giving. I'm grateful for the people who serve and do it behind the scenes. 
You know, I get to serve on Sunday mornings and a lot of you are so nice to say, hey, great message, good job. Or you grab Tyler afterwards and you say, hey, good job. We're up here on this platform. But we understand without any shadow of a doubt that what we do is possible because there are people right now down in the nursery that may not get a pat in the back after church is done. Serving behind the scenes. You know, I can come on Wednesday nights and and lead a Bible study because we have people down there serving rowdy fourth graders goldfish crackers. I know that you're doing that, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm appreciative of that. And we have hundreds of people who serve here behind the scenes. We have people that come in every week and fold your bulletin with love. When you open that bulletin every week, you ought to just say, this bulletin was folded with love unbelievable. Somebody gave their time to come up and to do that. I could go on and on and on, but I'm grateful for the people who serve here and who do it quietly and do it behind the scenes, not for the recognition, but for the common good of our church family. I love pastoring this church because we're not perfect. We don't have it all figured out. We can improve in a million different ways, but we are serious about making disciples. And I hope that you're excited about that. And I hope that you are prayerful at the beginning of a new year to say, how can I grow as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus? And how can I plug in here to help other people grow and become more faithful in following him? So to that end, I want to pray for you. Bow your heads and let's end in prayer. Father, we're grateful for a new year. We're grateful for your faithfulness. Father, we are able to be here and to gather together not because of anything that we have done or anything that we have to offer you, but it's simply because you are a great, gracious, patient God. And you have been very good to us. And we just want to stop at the beginning of a new year and acknowledge that. You are a good God and you have been faithful to this church. Father, we are excited about the things that you're doing in the life of our church. We're grateful for the the kids' Sunday school rooms that are full. We're grateful for the missions offering that's increased. We're grateful for the, the new people that you've sent us. And Father, we pray that even next week you would send us more people who need a church home, people who need to meet Jesus. Father, help us as a church family to be focused on the one thing Jesus called us to do, and that is to make disciples. And all the different things we do at this church, Father, we want it all to point back to that end, that we would make disciples. Father, we we look at that task and we just stop to acknowledge we cannot do that without your help. We are powerless. We are preaching a message that the world left to itself hates. That human beings left in their own sin are not interested in. And so we need your help to do what you've called us to do. And so very humbly and very seriously, very passionately, we ask for your help. You would help us to be the kind of church that you want us to be. To do what you've called us to do. And Father, that we would not take any of the credit for what happens here, but that we would give all the glory to you. Father, we love you. I'm grateful for this church and for the opportunity to to be a part of this, this church family. Father, continue to glorify yourself in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.